Dr. Shazma Mathani joins us now. She's an ER doc at the Royal Alec in Edmonton. Um, Dr. Mathani, thank you so much for your time. Um, always appreciate a chat. Thanks for having me this morning. Uh, just uh, give us an update. What? How, how are things in an ER in Alberta right now? Has it changed over the past couple of weeks, and what's the current situation? It absolutely has. Um, I would say that our ERs are busier than we've seen them in, in years, probably. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, it's because of how busy uh, inpatient medicine, so the hospital ward beds are upstairs um, with COVID and with other things. So, uh, you know, as we've talked about before, we often see a trickle-down effect to the emergency department uh, when the beds are full upstairs because we then can't move patients that are admitted to hospital from our eMERGE beds up to the ward beds. And then that, of course, means that people who are waiting in the waiting room don't have space to come into the emergency department. So um, our wait times are going up dramatically. Uh, I just I just came off night shifts uh, a couple nights ago. So my most recent shift, um, half of our acute care beds were pending admission. So meaning that they had been admitted by whatever team they needed to come into hospital with, but yeah. they couldn't move upstairs, meaning that like half of our acute care capacity in overnight was reduced because of uh, admitted patients. Because of admitted patients. Um, what about staffing levels? Is, is, are you starting to see that? We know so many people are out. doesn't matter where you work. You probably know somebody who's isolating. Uh, are you seeing that impact staffing levels on the wards? And is that causing issues yet? Absolutely. So we're seeing that, um, you know, talking to some of my colleagues who are working on the COVID wards and working on the inpatient units upstairs, big, big staffing crunches, both with nurses and with doctors um, who are isolating, who are contracting uh, COVID, and it's really affecting uh, the capacity in a dramatic way. Yeah, makes sense. Um, what about the cases that are coming in? I read an interview that you did earlier this week where you're saying it's not quite the same as it used to be in terms of severity of illness and and even the demographic of patients who are getting sick now. Omicron seems a little bit different to you? Yeah, so um, we are thankfully seeing some milder cases. I, I really don't like using that word because it, sure. it really trivi- trivializes uh, the impact that we're seeing, and we are seeing a big impact on the healthcare system. And I mean, that being said, like, yes, I'm seeing some people who um, have uh, less severe symptoms, I'll say, um, but I'm also seeing people who are needing to be admitted to hospital with the Omicron variant. I, I've admitted multiple people in my last kind of week of shifts who are needing to come in. And in the context of how the healthcare system is faring uh, in general, uh, it has a big impact, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's fewer cases or not, because of how crunched the healthcare system is, it's, it's, we're really feeling it. Um, in in terms of where we are, the trajectory, like I think that's what everybody's watching. Everybody's watching and waiting to see what's going to happen with this variant and just how bad it's going to get. And we're trying to, you know, take a look at what's going on in other jurisdictions and relate it to what's going on here. Are you seeing it? Is it been a steady march up? Is it plateauing? I mean, where do you think we are in terms of where Omicron is running through the province right now? We're still on the up. Okay. There's definitely no signs of plateauing at all right now, and so we're still in the like rapid exponential growth phase right now. Gotcha. Um, For those of us that are watching the numbers, and I think most people have recognized that the case numbers aren't the issue anymore. It's the ICU numbers and the hospitalization numbers. Is there a reason why hospitalization seems to be going up just like it did, you know, even in the last fourth wave where it was absolutely astronomical numbers, very, very high, ICU seems to be a little bit lower. Do you you, you have Mm -hmm. an understanding of why that might be at this point? I think a couple of reasons. One, we have a much more vaccinated population, right? So, and, and as we, as we progress, we're seeing more people who are getting their third doses as well, which I highly encourage everybody to do. Um, It's very, very rare that we're seeing anyone who's needing hospitalization with three doses of vaccine. 
I myself haven't seen anyone. There are a few in hospital, I know, just looking at the numbers, but it's extremely rare. So getting that booster dose is important. And then also, I mean, with as the virus evolves, we're seeing that it is um, um, showing less severe disease. And I think those two things combined are showing more hospitalizations, but less very severe illness uh, like ICU. So, I mean, uh, none of us have a crystal ball. And if you don't even want to answer this question, go ahead. Uh, given all those things, what do you think this wave is going to play out like? We know that it seems to drop off really sharply once it reaches its peak. We've seen that in other countries. Um, you know, the example that's often brought up is South Africa, yeah, how yeah. they peaked in about three to four weeks and are coming down. We're, we're, it doesn't look like we're getting there yet, though, right? I mean, exactly. our, our cases are really going up quite dramatically, and I don't think we're going to see quite the same timeline as that. Uh, in fact, I think we've already kind of surpassed that timeline. Um, and I don't think that we can hang our hats on that. Uh, we are a very different population. Um, we are definitely seeing, a, uh, you know, South Africa really didn't see a, a rise in hospitalizations, and we definitely are, right? We're seeing that yeah. there isn't, isn't a decoupling of cases and hospitalizations like we were hoping to see. Um, and then the other thing, I mean, I've heard a lot of things about uh, just letting it run through, um, just, you know, getting Omicron to get it over with. I know there's been a lot of talk about that. But we have to remember that with this new variant, we don't know as what the long-term consequences are going to be. We don't know how things are going to play out in terms of what our hospital systems are going to look like, what the incidence of long COVID is going to be like for people who get Omicron. Um, there's a new pediatric, uh, some new pediatric data that's come out showing that um, pediatric patients are two and a half times as likely to get diabetes after mm-hmm. contracting COVID, which is very concerning as a parent. So we have to remember that maybe your initial illness might be, you know, a, a sore throat, a some cough and sniffles, and it might be mild, so to speak. But there are other impacts that we need to think about beyond that. So uh, hospital capacity, if you give it to somebody else who's vulnerable, for example, um, long COVID or in pediatric patients, potential long-term consequences too. Absolutely. And, you know, you talk about hospital capacity, and there's a new um, talking point that's come out recently. And I think it's interesting, and I report it, but I... I try and put in the caveat that a hospital bed is a hospital bed because we're now starting to differentiate in several jurisdictions, and we will be in Alberta this week, between people in hospital because of COVID and people in hospital for other reasons who tested positive for COVID. Um, How instructive is that to you, and is that something we should even be paying attention to? To be honest, I don't think it matters um, because... They're in a bed. at the end of the day, exactly, a bed is a bed. At the end of the day, if our capacity is well over 100%, then it doesn't matter why the people are there. Um, COVID is certainly playing where I can tell you that the patients that I've admitted uh, were uh, for COVID, not just with COVID, right? So they were coming in directly with respiratory symptoms because of uh, testing positive for uh, for the Omicron variant in particular. So uh, in my experience, it's people who are coming in as, as a direct consequence of symptoms of COVID. Um, but that being said, whether it's with COVID or for COVID, we are seeing a hospital crunch. So really, for me, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because our hospital capacity is threatened right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the bed is full and it doesn't really matter why it's full. Um, last question here, and I've, it's a text I've been getting from a listener, Derek, uh, over and over and over and over, and he's been asking every time we get a doc on, and I haven't done it. Can you test positive for two variants at the same time? Or if you have Omicron, you don't have Delta, or can you test positive for both? I have not seen um, I have not seen someone test positive for both. I've seen someone test positive for both in quick succession. So um, someone who tested positive for Delta at the end of November, then tested positive for Omicron at the end of December. Okay. Um, so very quickly after, which yep. which again uh, shows that natural immunity shouldn't really be relied on, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, but I I don't think so. But I I and I only because I haven't seen it. Um, 
uh, myself. So, um, um, last one here, and this is a good question, and I, I should have asked it. Mike wants to know um, what are the typical symptoms of the non ICU people and the non like what is the criteria for because you're in the ER, so I imagine you're seeing some patients and saying, you know what, go home and treat it this way, and others are saying, okay, you're going to have to come in. What's that line? Yeah, that's a gr- that's a great question, and I, I'd like to take an opportunity just to kind of um, give uh, give a sense of when you should stay home and when you should come in. So, in general, um, let's first talk about the core symptoms, right? So, sore throat, fever, runny nose, fatigue, headache. That's kind of the more common symptoms um, constellation of symptoms that we're seeing with Omicron. Less so the loss of taste or smell. Definitely not seeing that as much with Omicron. Mm-hmm. And then you know, if you're just having those general symptoms you feel otherwise well you're able to keep drinking well um you know you're not having any difficulty breathing then i would say stay home and um get some rest drink fluids and take care of yourself the threshold to cross over into potentially needing hospitalization and in particular coming into the emergency department would be things like having difficulty breathing having severe chest pain um having lots of vomiting or diarrhea where you're concerned about being dehydrated those would be kind of the three big things that we're seeing um, that may need hospitalization. And the big one for me that I've seen myself is is the breathing piece, right? Yeah. So people who are having difficulty breathing, who are not able to keep their oxygen levels high enough, those are typically the ones that I'm admitting to hospital with COVID. Uh, Doc, thank you again uh, so much for joining us. I always appreciate the insight and appreciate what you do out there. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. That's Dr. Shazma Mathani, who is an ER doc uh, in Edmonton at the Royal Alec and Stollery Children's Hospital. So, I mean, she's frontline. Okay, I mean, and that's why I have her on as much as I do, because and she just shoots a tea straight. She, this is what's going on in the hospital. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm, what's happening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone. And for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.